Did you pay for that uh, intro music? <laughs> I've always wondered if we should have intro music. So that was my test of it. <laughs> we should have intro music. That's for sure. I kind of like the 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 rawness of hit and record and then hit and stop. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it is a it is just like we're hanging out and talking, you know. So that is kind of true. Be curious what people think. Yeah, I don't know. Tell us. Yeah, tweet at us at exit three on Twitter, and what's yours? JM Charns. JM Charns. I was forget. Jason Charns was taken in 2009 when I joined, and I don't think it's tweeted since like 2009. But at this case, like, I'm so tied to J.M. Charns that we're going to do. Yeah, you can't do much about it at this point. So I've been doing a lot of rails this week, which feels like the first time in a while. Yeah, well, you've been been, uh, distracted with other things. So how's it feel getting back to things? It feels pretty good. I started uh, I started a new project this week. It's a side project, like around reviews for like uh, small businesses, and it feels pretty good. I lately, when I fire up a new Rails project, like I kind of stick with the Rails way a whole lot, at least getting started, and like I kind of forget how good that feels. Uh, Cause a lot of times, like when I would start projects in the past, like I'd rip out many tests, put in R spec, you know, and then I would do like, it was a lot around testing the things I would change, but like I've been just rolling with like fixtures and mini tests and like my tests are fast and like I'm iterating very fast and I don't know. It just feels good. Yeah. I know that feeling. Um, I used to do the same thing, you know, mini test and, Let's go customize a bunch of stuff. And I thought that was great and whatever. And then over time I was like, Hey, it'd be nice just to not to have these other dependencies and things. And I was like, you know, slowly growing into that too over the years. And I really just like the basics, you know, like people were always like, Oh, we're going to turn off coffee script and, uh, do this and turn off turbo links and blah, blah, blah. And they go through this whole process of setting up a new app. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know the rails basics aren't that bad. I don't really need coffee script anymore. Cause, uh, I really think ES six pretty much covers everything that the, uh, the coffee script used to fix for us. But, um, you know, I really, really like using fixtures because of how fast they are, you know? Yeah, so I actually seed my database with them. So Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so like I, I spend a little bit of time up front when I like create a new model and like kind of think about like like for this project, it's me and another guy. Uh he's actually not like programming on it, but like I was like, okay, I'll create a user for me and him, like just this dummy accounts. And like it's really nice because I don't have like a ton of data, but like that upfront cost, like defining your fixtures means I can just blow away the database and bring it back pretty quickly. And like, it's still that same data that I'm already like familiar with, which you can do with like seeds, I guess, but I don't know something about well that one place of fixtures. Yeah. I was going to say like you are um, testing 
different data if you have seeds separate from your fixtures. So if you're using the exact same stuff in both places, that's the best thing you probably could do, right? Like you're going to be testing real data that'll be on the real website, which is exactly what your test should be doing. Um, so it seems it seems great that you reuse them in both places. Do you have to do anything special to set that up to use fixtures? Like, because normally they they auto load or whatever when you run your test suite, but do you have to run a, you know, do you put a loader in your seeds.rb file or something to load the fixtures uh, for development? Or how do you do that? There's a rake task. It's just rake db fixtures load. Ah, okay. And it just does it. Easy. And like, um, I don't know if it wipes away the database each time you do that, but like you don't end up with duplicates. So, Huh, okay. That's great. So you yeah, can I imagine quickly. it does wipe the database. I I would imagine that's, I mean, what happens in develop or in test. Right. So it seems yeah, it's been really nice because like this early in the project, like I've only been working on it this week. I only have like two migrations or excuse me. I only have like two models, but when I, since I'm the only one working on the project and I'm just wiping away my database every time I can actually just go edit the original migration without like having to create a ton of new migrations anytime I want to like add or change a field. Uh huh. So yeah. It it kind of like it looks like I've just like got what I want right away for migrations, but yeah, I do that actually. Um, regardless, uh, up until I deploy to production for the first time, so I will always go back and you know, truncate the database, drop the database and recreate it. Um, if I'm, you know, that very first time I want to have all my migrations like well thought out. Um, so that later on I'm not dealing with, you know, 400 migrations before we launch the product. That is awful. Um, cause then, you know, as soon as you hit production, you have real data. And so you have to use migrations that are incremental from there because um, you can't blow away your production database, but you can uh, up until that point. So I, I like doing the same thing, even if it's, you know, just more manual. Um, and I think I was going to mention that's like one of the big things I think people got attracted to MongoDB for was there is no migrations. You just say, hey, I want this attribute and you get the attribute and you don't have to do anything, um, which is the nice part about NoSQL or document stores. Um but you also don't have real like structure on the database. It's flexible. So it's a different, it's a very different thing, but it does allow you to prototype things really, really fast. And that seemed to be a huge selling point when Mongo was getting big. I remember everybody using that. And then I tried it, you know, in an app and was like, Oh my God, I don't have to worry about migrations. And this is so nice when I'm like still trying to figure out what my database should look like, you know, it's pretty great. Yeah. Um, that reminds me, I actually have a follow up. So last week I talked about smoke, the app I was working on and how I used Firebase for it. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of expressing my frustrations with no SQL. And so when we record last Friday, I guess it was Friday night or Saturday. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sit down and like learn NoSQL better because like clearly this works for a lot of people. Like I must not understand it. 
And so, um, turns out I didn't. Um, I like, I was Googling things like, how do you like, do like, how do people like handle relationships and things like that? It's a lot of like nesting. And so I actually watched like a Firebase. They had a video series on their document store. And it was like, what we do is if we have a, what I call a smoke, but we'll call a post. And then um, you have likes. You just have a sub collection on smoke with all the likes. And so. Yeah. Like, I mean, people should imagine it like a hash, right? Right. And so. Or an um, array of hashes or something. But the thing about likes is I need like the user's information. So like specifically their username. So like you would store that in each individual like. And so for me, like I'm only accustomed to relational databases. So that's like a red flag to me, right? <laughs> like how do I do that? And they like, what if the user updates their username? And so the video is like, well, you actually will have to like run a query to go and find all those and update it. But they talked about how it is less expensive to do that than to try and essentially build that relationship in NoSQL because a user updating their username will happen less than them actually liking stuff. If that makes sense. Right. Yeah. And it's the data structures like pros and cons basically that you're, you know, dealing with at that point where, yeah, if you had a hash in Ruby and you had users underneath each one of these hashes, you, in order to change the username for some user, you'd have to do the exact same thing. Um, That helped me wrap my head around it a lot when I was just thinking about it in terms of, okay, I have a hash or an array of hashes when I'm using Mongo. Um, And yeah, like there's not, there's no such thing as joins, you know, so you don't have the ability to be like, oh yeah, we join the users and we change the username in one place. And that's like really what relational databases are good at is keeping one record of everything. They're not so great at, you know, uh, dynamic attributes and stuff. Um, if you've ever had to do those and create a table where you have like key and a value and you have like, okay, users have these extra attributes and we have to have a name and a type and a value. And then, you know, this table ends up kind of collecting all these weird things. Um, that's where relational databases like start to break down, which is why people were like, oh, we should try creating something that's focused around that, which is neat yeah it's 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 fascinating it's cool just to learn it like to actually understand it now instead of just writing it off because like i'm still most comfortable with relational databases like that's what i use every day but it, i don't know it's just nice to like be able to see that point of view now yeah yeah it's it's really you know interesting to see another perspective like that on how to solve a problem of storing data um the thing is that most people got caught with is you don't know what Mongo is efficient at um, and things, but you know, sort of because everything is kind of revolved around SQL, like MySQL, Postgres, um, that sort of stuff. 
is very well understood on limitations and where things can go wrong. And a lot of startups got bit by, oh, we use Mongo. And then we hit some point that either Mongo themselves had never seen before, or we had structured our data wrong. And uh, we had to redo everything because we did it poorly, which worked up until a point. And uh, there's a lot of hacker news posts and stuff about that because it was like, yeah, you're using new technology that people haven't figured out all the sort of gotchas that you kind of just get for free using Postgres and stuff because, you know, active record guides you on how to set up a lot of things. Um, and so you just kind of, especially like actually base camp was down this past week for what, like five hours because yeah. Their, one of their tables had an integer primary key instead of a big int, and they crossed the, like, what a, what a, was it, like 2 billion records or something? Yeah, it's like 2.3 or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, they hit that number of records, and then um, this has been a thing fixed in Rails for, what, two years now um, as the default? So all your new tables start with a primary key that's an integer, but it's a big int now, but... Obviously, if you created your table uh, before then, um, you wouldn't have this fix just like they did. So, you know, we get a lot of those things kind of for free that we don't even have to think about in a database like Postgres or MySQL, which is a one of the reasons why that's probably the right thing to use by default in most Rails apps. Yeah, I agree. Um, the... F- when you were talking about kind of like um, the cost of like doing certain lookups and things like that, the thing about Firebase too is that every request like is recorded and like there's a free tier, but like, you know, every request essentially costs money. And so if you try and set up like a NoSQL as a relational thing where like it has to do multiple lookups per like thing you want to have that gets like really expensive really quick gotcha Um, yeah yeah i only have like it's mostly just my friends using it and there's probably like a hundred cigars on there and like but there's a lot of likes and then like each person is a user like each person who's posted as a user and each person who likes is a user and so that adds up really quickly so like i was working on it some this past weekend and I just like in dev, I just essentially work against real data um, because I don't know how to not do that with Firebase, but every, like I'm using react create react app, which has like auto reloading. So like whenever I save a file or I guess that's a webpack thing, whenever I save a file, it'll reload. And I locked out the app because I hit my daily quota within like an hour. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's when I was like, clearly I don't know how NoSQL works. That's pretty funny. Anyway, I'm rambling now, but um, we were talking earlier. Oh yeah. So go rails redesign. looks <laughs> great. Yeah. Thanks man. Um, I- I would, I was wondering if you had told me and I forgot and then you were like, no, I just did it over a few days. So, yeah, yeah. I, I was having a conversation with one of my friends on Thursday and, uh, 
for whatever reason, I got pretty inspired to go, you know, change things on go rails so i bought a theme and then worked till five in the morning friday night i guess saturday morning and uh just continued working all weekend and uh ended up launching it what wednesday i think it was um and people seemed to like it i really thought it was a big improvement from where it was i had i mean i had hacked together i don't really know how to design and i had hacked together everything before um, myself. And so I was like, yeah, you know what? I should just do a real theme. And I, I know enough design that I can kind of mix and match features in a theme. I couldn't create a theme from scratch myself. And um, so I bought one, implemented it, did a lot of work to try and get everything uh, moved over. It's still in Bootstrap. A lot of people asked if I was using Tailwind. I would have absolutely used Tailwind. Uh, if it was a custom theme that I had bought. But one one of the harder, more time-consuming things of using Tailwind right now is that there are no drop-downs, there's no modals. Um, they're not just you know the same JavaScript libraries that you're pretty used to having if you've used Bootstrap. So you have to create those from scratch. I'm working on uh, some of those for a different project, but you know, GoRails is one of those things where I just needed to get the new theme done and live sooner than later and um it wouldn't benefit me too much from using tailwind uh at the moment but the cool thing was with that theme was actually uh very utility based for the css and the theme so it had all these different little padding helpers and things that they use to extend bootstrap and so it turned out like it felt like i was using tailwind um but with bootstrap which was pretty fun so it only it didn't take me very long. I mean, I had a lot of pages to go through. There's a lot of, you know, you pretty much edit every single view when you go modify your site with a new theme. It it is a right. huge, huge over undertaking, and uh, yeah, getting it done in under a week was pretty solid. So I'm excited about that. It looks great. Uh, I like I like the remote Ruby shout out. Yeah, I thought it was important that we shoot. Uh, had a you know thing on the definitely on the homepage, but I also put it in the footer because um, yeah, I felt like the uh, the podcast needs some more love, man. Yeah, I I'm terrible at like promoting it. It's hard. It's hard. We're developers, right? Like our thing is making stuff, not so much promoting things. So that's one of the things that you know is my goal. I guess now that this year is almost over, it'll be more of a goal for next year, but really getting good at, you know, doing more marketing and promoting stuff. I think I've just uh, always this been year is almost over. What? This year is almost over. Dude, it snowed here today. Really? Yeah. Uh, we woke up and there's snow on the ground and like, come on. It just, it's just the beginning of November. Come on. I know it's getting, cold like it's getting wintry when my wife turns the heat on because like i'm pretty much like we should never turn the heat on ever because i'm really warm natured yeah me me too she knows that like she's pretty like respectful of that and is like because she's kind of warm natured too but like she gets to a point where she can't do it anymore and so the heat's on in my house i actually just turned it off because i'm home alone 
That's funny. Yeah, um, mine, I'll notice when it's starting to get colder out because my cat will spend more time close to me. <laughs> there was a thing I want to go back to what you said just now um, about like there are no drop downs in like tailwind and like I don't know if that's ever like a goal, but that is something like I actually ran into last night. So this uh, this like review app I'm building, you know, like I was just doing an account drop down. And like I, before this point, I have just been rocking with Tailwind. Uh, the utility-based CSS is like, I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but it's totally mine. Uh, I think, I works- I think it, people don't consider it their cup of tea because when you look at it for the first time, you're like, this is writing CSS classes that are literally one line of CSS. Why wouldn't I just write that line of CSS? <laughs> The amount of time I save, like not going between windows, writing custom classes and like thinking about class names. It's uh, so great. It's crazy. And my, um, like when a designer hands me something now, like a designer designed this project I'm working on, I can so much like I, for some reason I am so much better at getting the little details, like drop shadows, even like box shadowing, like I can take like a sketch design and pretty much recreate it on the web for some reason better than I could when I was like writing a bunch of classes myself. Well, I think part of it is like, you know, you slap on the class of shadow and then you're like, Oh, that's not big enough. Shadow large. Oh, that's, that's better. And like, right. you don't have to worry about you. You didn't have to worry about any of the, like, you know, six parameters you've got to use for box shadow. And then you also got to do, you know, your, box shadow web kit and the one for Firefox and you know, whatever uh, you have to continuously think about that stuff when you're writing CSS. And then you like, when you're not using utilities, you have to remember like, okay, this is nested inside of this other class and I wrote my SCSS so that they're using nesting, but this is its own component. So it's, it's over in this other file and whatever. And you have to constantly think about, what you've named things, what they're nested under, what file they're in. And when you're using utilities-based CSS, you're just like in the browser, literally this div needs a shadow. So I'm going to put the shadow on the div. Done. And you see it right away. And you don't have to think about any of that stuff. It's so, so handy. The, the other thing that's really nice is that like Tailwind specifically, because that's really the only one I like have worked with. Um, well, when I, like when I work with bootstrap, for example, I don't usually customize bootstrap. I usually just like use a CDN or something, but with tailwind, like to fully take advantage of it. Um, and they've got really good install docs. Like I run it with Webpacker, uh, which is what anybody using rails would probably do, but it uses post CSS, right. Um, uh-huh. which lets you like define class names and then use like at symbol apply and then apply other class names. It's like a, uh, a way to like compose classes with other classes. And so like, even the, like there's a couple of like weird spacing things that I need that like tailwind doesn't have. And so it's easy for me to just like pull up a class and borrow from other utility classes they created. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've done that a bunch of times. I've also gone and you know, tailwind maybe doesn't have, so Tailwind ships with, you know, for example, like margins, they have maybe 10 different sizes of margins and maybe you need one 
um, and they they start out pretty small and and get larger and larger over time. Um, so you can you can add margin one, margin two, margin three. Those are pretty small, but then margin ten or twelve or whatever is large. And so like sometimes on the larger ones, you're like, I really need something in between these two, and you just open up the Tailwind config and you drop in your new margin ten or eleven, um, and there you go, you're off to the races. And I've found that super handy for um you know anything that kind of fits one of the tailwind defaults um you could just run through really really fast but then when you're like ah this doesn't really fit a tailwind default you just go add one and you're like great this is cool yeah it's awesome i'm i'm totally sold on the approach right now i think uh i think one of the things people struggle with um sort of is like, okay, well, you wrote all this, you know, all these classes, but what, like how that seems unmaintainable, right? Cause now you've got these classes that are just, you know, every div has five or 10 classes on it. That seems really like a pain in the ass to maintain. And the answer is, uh, yeah, if you leave it that way. Um, but if you want to make things consistent, you just extract it and you make your own button class like you were saying, usually you use Bootstrap and you don't customize it. Tailwind doesn't come with buttons. It doesn't come with cards. It doesn't come with anything. And so you're required to design it from scratch, at least somewhat. And so then you pull out what's common about all your buttons and you make your own Bootstrap, which is awesome. And it doesn't take hardly any time to do that. Yeah, it's great. And then like all of a sudden you just have these reusable classes that are just built of other tailwind classes. Yeah. Um, so this brings me to something I would like to release, uh, hopefully soon, which is basically bootstrap built on tailwind. Um, so basically, you know, here's a bunch of cards and buttons and things that you could just copy into your project. And I'd like to include, um, stimulus controllers. I've got stimulus controllers built for, like modals, tabs, dropdowns. Um, I think that was the main ones. There may have been one other one. You should share your dropdown one with me because I just I wired up a stimulus tailwind dropdown last night, and I would probably rather use yours. Cool. Yeah. Um, so this is this is interesting too because um, these tailwind components uh, for stimulus that I've written, I tweeted about that. And actually Sam, Sam Stevenson from Basecamp emailed me about him and was like, Hey, do you mind sharing those? Cause I'd be curious uh, to see how you're doing it because we are adding some new stuff into stimulus to help work with your classes and things. Cause a lot of times oh. you're like toggling classes. Um, oh, that's so great. Today I've written so much stimulus code. That's like, this dot some target class list contains uh-huh. or like class list add. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, that's more or less what I was doing, but I was adding a class attribute onto. So for example, the um, the dropdowns, right? Like if you're using Tailwind, you might you you won't have an active class, but if you're like doing a dropdown in Bootstrap, you toggle the active class which underlying, you know, sets it to display block instead of display none or something. Um, So for my 
components, I have them set up so that you can customize the class that it toggles on and off. Um, and so that way you can have these various different ways of reusing that component and never having to touch the JavaScript. That's my main goal is that you never ever have to touch the uh, stimulus controller. You just include it in your project and you define your data attributes in your HTML and it will just magically work as a dropdown. That's um, cool. So I've seen some other ones that do dropdowns, but you got to, you know, customize their controller or inherit from it or something. And it's like, that's so wrong. Like it should be data attributes. It's a whole design like point of stimulus. So um, I'll share that with you and then I'll probably just try and package those up. Um, but the new stimulus improvements are a proposal for the upcoming 1.2 release. Um, so they've got a pull request open on the stimulus repo with the proposal for the API for these changes. Um, and I'm going to try to, I guess maybe I'll publish what I've got right now because I know they work, but then I will also take a look at these and see what, how they get improved by using like the new uh, API because I'll be really curious to see uh, if it cleans up th some things. Because there, there was some stuff that was like, um, you know, you have a modal that's open. Modals are annoying. There's probably bugs with my modal, but um, <laughs> there's probably bugs with every modal. Modals are. I, I started to look at the source code for Bootstrap's modal, and you know, it's like hundreds of lines of code, and I'm like, oh god. And the you know, it's ridiculous because like you have a modal, and you display position fixed. CSS does a great job of you know here's an overlay that you can put on your page and then you can print your modal on top of that. And it's all great. But then you can scroll the background still. And you're like, well, I need to disable that. And so you like, you know, set overflow hidden on the body, but then that disables the scroll bar in your browser, which is different widths on the Mac, on windows, on Linux. And so then your page shifts over by 12 pixels here, 16 pixels on a different operating system, whatever. So you got to then go and calculate the width of the scroll bar and add padding to the body or whatever uh, to correct for that so your page doesn't move. And that's all just to like open the modal and the, there's other problems with that too. And then you've got to, you know, if you click on the background, like the overlay, you should close the modal um, and then the button should close the modal. But if you click on the background of the modal itself, you shouldn't close it. it it's, it's a pain. <laughs> and I'm sure that's um, overlooking a bunch of like edge cases too, that I hadn't run into yet. So my anxiety just like went through the roof. Yeah. So uh, yeah, maybe just listening to talk. Maybe I'll get the, um, these packages uploaded to NPM and then other people can fix the bugs for me. <laughs> you can also drop it on stim awesome yeah uh, steven uh said he was gonna be working on that some more too which is awesome i keep checking that side out there's there's been a couple more that's added so like cool. i'm gonna have to check those out too stimulus has really grown on me because i was kind of skeptical at first the because first time i used it and stimulus or stimulus Actually, it's funny. Stimulus and Tailwind feel very 
similar and you read about them and you're like, I don't know, that doesn't seem so good. And then you try them and you're like, Ooh, this is interesting. <laughs> I'm pretty bullish on react. Um, not like I'm Same on you. I'm not like for life. do what <laughs> view JS for life, man. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> so like, I'm not like SPA all the things. And like, I really don't mind JavaScript frameworks except for Angular. Um, <laughs> I think that's fairly common these days. Yeah. Uh, it's just not talking about cups of tea. Angular is not mine. Like I'll, it's like view react uh, or sorry, react view jQuery internet explorer eight. Uh, and then maybe I'll consider angular. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so this week at work, I was working on a project, um, and it's using a lot of like rails, UJS, the un- unobtrusive JavaScript. And if anyone's not familiar with that, it's essentially like you can request JavaScript back from the server. And so you have like a ERB file that's specific to JavaScript and it'll like execute the JavaScript when you get the response back and it works like really well for what this page was doing, except I need to expand it now. And that introduced like a lot of complexity. And so like, I was like, well, I'll try this in stimulus, but I didn't really understand stimulus still. Like I've used it, but like it, it hadn't clicked before. So kind of like you said earlier, like I wasn't dealing so much with data attributes. I was thinking of it in terms of like a jQuery almost where I was like looking for Dom elements and so um, I actually like coded up a couple of components in React and like took it to the team. I was like, I know this is like, we don't have any React code. I was like, I know this is like a, a kind of shocking thing. Um, and then like, because I don't know, I don't think many people had like worked on React. So like if you've never worked on it, you look at it for the first time, it's kind of a brain shift but anyway um somebody uh one of my coworkers, greg was like you know like i this is cool but like this seems like what stimulus was designed for what you're doing and i was like it, it didn't click with me yet and so last night i sat down and like really like embraced the stimulus on my side project and it like clicked and today i've just been rocking with stimulus at work so that's great, man. Yeah, I I found it the most intuitive thing that I've used in JavaScript probably ever, to be honest. And especially if you have any sort of understanding of jQuery. Um, it's kind of a lot of what jQuery did just without any of the jQuery. And you don't have to... The, the Probably my favorite part about all this that a lot of people don't talk about is those mutation observers, which you know, are sort of like these, instead of writing selectors that run once and attach event listeners, these are kind of like uh, selectors that are always running and always monitoring the page. So then you get the benefits of, if you write your JavaScript with stimulus, any Turbolink stuff, you don't have to do any special Turbolink things for. Um, So you don't have to write your wait until Turbolink's load event and then set up everything and redo it next page view. This stuff just works on the next page 
and you didn't have to reload any JavaScript. It's so awesome. Yeah. The more I understand it, like that, the problem before I think was my ignorance, right? That's clearly my problem with everything. Uh, no sequel stimulus. It, that's the hard part about, you know, all this stuff is like, you know, same with Hatchbox users. Like they like using it because they don't understand all of the stuff that it takes to set up and maintain their own server. And there's a heck of a lot of stuff. Even, you know, it comes down to as simple as, um, you didn't realize that uh, this symlink was being set up in a certain way. And so because you had a file with the same or a folder with the same name, it causes the symlink to go inside the folder instead of replacing the folder. And, you know, it, you have to like have your head wrapped around sort of the concepts. And that's like usually the hardest part because you want to just jump in and use something. But if you got to stop and be like, okay, we got to learn MVC before we can use Rails correctly. Uh, it's very hard to just skip that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. So how do you feel about, like, have you wrapped your head around uh, stimulus then? Uh, Yeah, like night and day from yesterday. I don't want to say like I've mastered it, but like there's not too much to it, right? Right. Um, yeah. Once targets. you. Once you like have that epiphany moment, it's mostly just learning the nuances of how it works after that. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. So like the thing I've been working on at work is like comments. So like, you know, we have memberships and you can, uh, somebody who like runs the membership can post and the subscribers can like see the post and comment on them. Sure. And so comments have likes. And so like the thing I was working on today was like, I made a like a light controller and um but the problem was like I put it at the top of the container that holds all the comments. So like I couldn't just like go get a single like if I clicked a like on like a comment two down, um like it when I say like like targets, it's all of them still. And so then I was like that was the epiphany. I was like, oh, I can just make a controller for each individual one of these. And then I don't have to do any like Dom manipulation or sorry, like Dom, like query selecting. Oh, right. I I I, see what you're saying. Like you had it set up so that originally your likes stimulus controller was applied to the entire comment section instead of every individual comment. Is that right? Right. So like at first I was like, this is stupid. Like, I have to like query. So I like have to set like data IDs and then query by that to try and do this. Like this is worthless. Yeah. And then it's almost I not it, like you, it, it's almost as if you weren't using stimulus at all at that point. Right. Yeah. I was, And so I was like, I don't see, I don't get it. And then like I moved it down a level and I had data targets for everything and I was like, this is perfect. <laughs> like it just, it just clicked. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm the worst. Yeah. Um, that makes perfect sense. And and there may be like a case where you would want to have it around the entire comment section. Like if you wanted to display the total number of likes of the, all of the comments somewhere, you know, that might be weird. Or maybe you just want to display the number of total number of comments up top or something. I don't know. You may want to do that, but then like, you know, you probably can also do sub 
uh, items as well, you know, and, and cause I think you can, there's a cool thing. I haven't done this too much about having a stimulus controller talk to another one. There's a, there's a way to do it. Um, and so like, cause nor- normally you're working inside of a stimulus controller, like stimulus picked up some activity, like you clicked on the like button and then it fires a function. You can actually like through JavaScript trigger that function manually. Um, I've never done it, but I've tried to look into it before. Um, and so you can do like really complicated stuff with it too, which is pretty neat. Uh, I, I haven't had much of a need to do that yet though. Yeah. I, that, please don't boggle my mind right now. I'm, I'm <laughs> fragile mind right now. Blown. Um, well, last thing I was going to mention this week was, uh, it looks like, and I, I don't remember, I haven't re- really kept up with the previews of Ruby 2.6, which, as a reminder, comes out uh, hopefully Christmas this year. Like every year, the new Ruby version comes out about Christmas time. Um, but this version, uh, 2.6 Preview 3, looks like it has the first implementation of the just-in-time compiler, which is an exciting improvement. Um, and it's what? 1.7 times faster performance than Ruby 2.5 on CPU intensive non-trivial benchmark called uh, OptCarrot. So that's a huge improvement. I'm excited to try this out. Yeah, there was, I didn't look too much into it. I just saw it in passing. I think it was like Mike Param tweeted or somebody that like in testing Sidekick with it, it was like 25% slower right now though. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'm sure it depends on the type of work that's being done. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, I'm really interested. I haven't looked at it at all. That's just like things I I saw in passing. Yeah, but also, I mean, uh, Sidekick is ultra fast. Like, it's probably pretty well optimized for the current version of Ruby. So, Sidekick's uh, the freaking best, man. Mike deserves every dollar dude he seriously does i wish like i wish that i had a thousand dollars a year laying around just to give him like (laughs) i agree i agree sidekick has been i mean for all the projects i've used sidekick on for free um it's been leaps and bounds better than anything else that i've used and i've even gone from you know at first i used uh sidekick through active job um, because I was like, oh, this is great. And we'll make it compatible with everything. I'll write my jobs so that, you know, for whatever reason in the future, if I wanted to replace Sidekick, I could skip active job. And then I got looking at how fast Sidekick is if you just skip active job. And then I was like, oh, good Lord, this is really crazy. So uh, for most of my Hatchbox jobs, I um, uh, switch them just to use sidekick directly and like inherit from that instead of um, active job. And so, yeah, you just get like a big speed improvement skipping active job, I guess. Not really sure why um, that is exactly. I wouldn't imagine active job wouldn't have to do much, but there must be things that can be sped up in there or something that currently aren't. <laughs> Well, I think I think that wraps up everything I had. I don't know if you got anything else. Nope, that is it. Um, 
I'm excited. If you guys want to check out the new Go Rails website and tweet at me and let me know what you think, I would love to hear your thoughts. And if you guys run into any bugs, any major theme rewrite like that runs into a few things here and there. So let me know. Um, I'm curious to hear what you guys think. Uh, yeah, and if you have any suggestions, let me know. I have one thing I want to try. Um, if you have made it this far in listening and are interested in Elixir at all, I have four sets of Elixir flashcards. So they are, you can Google them. There's uh, these flashcards that are like front and back, like question answer. Um, I am not doing any Elixir right now. I don't necessarily see it a lot in my future either. So I have four. I have Enum 1, Kernel 1, Fundamentals 1 and 2. And I will give these away if somebody wants to tweet me that they want this first person that does, um, you just have to pay for the shipping, which shouldn't be too expensive. Nice. So they should tweet you and you'll DM them or whatever for the details. You can DM me. Uh, I have my DMS open JM charns slip into those DMS. Yeah, dude, just chilling. Uh, I have four elixir flashcards. I will give these away because I don't want to throw them away. That makes me sad. Sweet. Yeah, I should go find, I'm sure I have some Ruby books that I haven't read in a long time. I should go find some and uh, give those away. It'll be fun. Awesome. Man, good to catch up. Uh, JM Charns, Exit 3. Yep. On Twitter, on Gmail, on .com, you name it. Mine's always consistent. (laughs) Awesome. Well, man, have a good week. I'll talk to you soon. Cool. Have a good weekend, everybody.